0: It's Sunday, June 21st, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. Either a deal is in place to start the season,
1: or we're looking at waiting till 2021. But as five Phillies test test positive for COVID-19, is this all just a waste of our time? Pitchers hitting may soon be a thing of the past. We'll also talk about some other changes that may be coming. The Minnesota Twins are in the news of late. We'll tell you why. And we'll give our thoughts on the ESPN documentary on the 1998 home run chase. And in the popcorn segment of the show, our movie of the week is the Motorcycle Diaries. Tom,
0: I, you're up in the cabin, up in Harrison? Uh, no, no. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm in Chicago. My wife is. Wife. But, but, we, but we, this is like a, 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 like a watershed moment for the cabin up there. Which I've told you before, we only had a, a old TV, a VCR, and one tape copy of the Big Lebowski. Well, we actually got internet up in our cabin, which is a, is a huge thing. Um, it'll allow me to actually work from there from time to time, which is which is something that I look forward to. But more importantly, it will create a very nice environment for peanuts and popcorn yeah. up in Harrison, Michigan. Hello. <laughs> maybe we might even do it live in front of an audience kind of yeah. like and, people. and and there and there will be a huge audience but speaking about where there wasn't a huge audience last night in Tulsa yeah. um, trump, say, you know, trump you know, did his death rally yeah. uh, um, and, and supposedly a million people signed up for it yeah well it turns well, out yeah. that, they were all they were all teenagers and for the first time in my life I am unbelievably proud of the millennials.
1: <laughs> I think there's an even different. Are these the millennials? Do we even call them that? But you're right. It was. You know what it was? It was uh, K-pop fans. Yeah, K-pop. K- 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 well, those two K-pop, music, you know. K-pop and Stan, as they're known. Yeah. yeah, K-pop and Stan. And a lot of my students, uh, a lot of a lot of the girls who I teach are huge K-pop fans. So I know some of my. Students may have been involved in that. You know, well, so.
0: muchos gracias to, to all, all that, that, that were involved in gaming the system. Because all week long, they were talking about a million participants, and it turns out like 980,000 of them were millennials and K-pop and Stan fans. The um,
1: other thing, too, is they, they were supposed to have like a, a kind of an overflow area. Right, To take, take, uh, you know, I guess they were expecting such a large crowd, and then Trump was going to stop there, and they built a stage, and he was going to make a sort of a secondary speech there, outside, but there was no crowd, and they had to dismantle the stage to kind of keep from sort of being embarrassed. And then they put out a release that said, oh, it was the protesters and the media who had kept everybody out. It was very dangerous. Unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Is you know there, there's no you know uh, one uh, one scribe called it the emptiesburg address.
1: <laughs> That's a good line. That's a good line. But I don't want to get too political. There's no, still no, we're not we're not getting political. We're just we're just speaking the facts, man. Yeah, we are just speaking the facts, and and and, and it's going to be tougher to recover from that. Yeah. But the thing about Donald Trump is don't
0: count him out. Yeah, never count him out, right? Count him out. How did uh, he ever win to begin with so he could win again? But win again. So, yeah. Exactly. What's going yeah. on around the league?
1: Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's... – are we going to have a season or not, Tom? Because the way it looks right now, I'm not entirely sure. Certainly the commissioner isn't sure, as he says on Monday, that he's 100% convinced that there was going to be a season. And then a few days later, well, he wasn't so confident. You know, and – I mean, it really comes down to how many games the owners are willing to pay uh, 100% of the prorated salaries of these major leaguers. And, and until they accept it and come back with a number of games, I think we're all just kind of twiddling our thumbs.
0: I, my head can't believe that they would let the season go without playing any games. I just, I just can't. I, 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 logically, I can't have that enter into my head because there's just too much money involved. And that, being, that being said, we, we are precariously close to that kind of a decision where in a negotiation, somebody has to be, speaking management, has to be prepared to walk away. It appears that the, la, the last, there was some um, uh, optimism 48 hours ago when Clark met uh, directly with, uh, with Manfred, and, and, and apparently that went very, very well until the counter offer, the red line offer came back to MLB, which said instead of playing 50 or 60 games, they wanted to play 70 games. And Major League Baseball's furious with Clark because they're saying, hey, you didn't negotiate in good faith because, well, no, they might have a point on this. We talked about these types of games all along, and then all of a sudden this comes back that that it's that you needed an extra 10 games. That's a problem for us. That's where they stand right this minute. You know, I, again, I can't believe that we're not going to have baseball, but maybe we shouldn't, based on the fact that the coronavirus isn't going anywhere, yeah. and, and it appears as though it's it's getting worse to a certain degree. I just, I, I just don't understand why, you know, somebody in that, in that article in The Athletic said something very prescient that I thought. He said, here's what I see. I see people really upset at baseball who say, a pox on all your houses, in a time of great need, with great social unrest, all you cared about was fighting about money. And I thought, that's it right there. And, and so what's going to happen? Are we going to – because it's not just this year is in peril. you got to remember, after next season, they, December of next season, the lockout begins. We go through this process all over again. Fans aren't going to put up with it. No, well, I mean, we all love baseball. Don't get me wrong. But the ones that we're trying to draw into our little dwindling base, don't. I'm just telling you right now.
1: Well, one thing we should keep in mind, some things that I think speak to hope for the future is that one does not inoculate a society against a sport. I mean, people will be playing baseball again someplace. And certainly it'll be enough for you and I. And the things that we love about baseball will bring people back. You know, it'll happen because I've seen it happen many times before. It's not good for the show, though. No, it's not good for the show. It's not good for, oh, yeah. for, for us and, and the fact that we draw our content from what's happening. But uh, we'll still be able to enjoy baseball. But but it's clear that there are issues far deeper than just being able to play this season. Yeah. And, 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 you know, my feeling is that with the virus and with the other deep-rooted issues for the collective bargaining agreement, my, my, my thought is, Go figure that stuff out. Figure that shit out and get back to us. You know, get just take a long-term approach. Fix the things that are wrong with the game. You know, examine how to create a minor league system that is both profitable and produces talented ball players and develops them. You know what I mean? Get, get you know, Talk about how free agency is gonna be conducted fix the draft, do all the things that you need to do to get the sport in the right place. And hopefully, by spring of 2021, we'll be at a place where we're better able to deal with the virus, we can treat it better, maybe even ha- we may even have a vaccine, it's possible, you know, that we may be able to approach some sense of normalcy. Because right now, let's say that they just struck a deal today. And they said, we started two weeks, the whole thing could come tumbling down because of the virus
0: so i don't know you know you you, you know you're right there's a lot of stuff and it takes a lot of time to fix it and you know of course they don't have oh wait a minute they have all the time in the world this is <laughs> this is this is ludicrous leo I, honestly I, I've, I've grown impatient with these again it's a millionaire versus billionaire struggle I have a hard time rooting for either side of this. Just get on with it, for crying out loud. I am, I am right there with you, Tom. But,
1: but again, I mean, we're in a unique position in that, you know, we love this thing. We talk about this thing called baseball. But we don't have a say in, in, in how it happens. We don't have a say in, uh, in, in the way the game is played. We don't have a say in the rules. We don't have a say in anything. You know, all we can do is just wait. And I'll tell you something, 1995, the strike back then, we lost the season. Yeah. You yeah. know, it trained me to be able to live my life without baseball. I mean, I learned that year that I would survive if there was no World Series. And I was
0: really scared there for about two weeks, <laughs> well, you know. Well, but, but, you know, we're both readers. So, yeah. The you know, if I was on a desert island, just give me a book. I mean, I'll as long as got I got a good long book, I'll be all right. You right. Know? right. I mean – but, but, uh, but you're right, the, the, the um, coronavirus, um, which um, our president pointed out last night, is from China. From China. Uh, the uh, flu, he called it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it appears it's getting worse and worse, and and, it, and some of the teams out there um, have shut down their practice facilities. Well, you,
1: you mentioned this, the Phillies, uh, five players. They didn't say who, but five players tested positive for the coronavirus, along with three Staff members, they didn't identify them either because of HIPAA. They don't have, you know, they don't have to. Yeah, they don't uh, have to. Right. And they use the medical stuff. Them. That's the medical stuff, and that's, you know, but um, but as a result, uh, Major League Baseball has shut down all of their spring training facilities for deep cleaning and scrubbing and disinfecting. Right, so right. I mean, is you know, is is a collective bargain agreement, or is is something that allows them to play this year?
0: Just spinning our wheels, man. You know, you know who benefits from all of this? Who's that? Yeah, the Houston Astros. Yeah. This this would have been the, I don't know if you would call it the redemption tour for them. It could have been. It depends on how they played it. But it, it, it also could have been the lambastion uh, tour where literally they get crushed in every town they visit, which I still think is the case. Um, well, the further away we get away from it, the more they get a pass. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, they yeah. really benefit from this holding pattern that baseball is it. It's like, you know, what, well, fig- guys figure it out. But like you alluded to earlier, it's entirely possible that we could hurry up and wait and get ready. And all of a sudden, you know what, the virus is here. We can't just smoke. How are I've, they playing in Korea, but we can't play Or We can't figure out how to play, but they can play. Something's not right here. This is, all, we almost need Colombo on the case.
1: And, and, you know, in addition to all of this, um, yeah, there may be some radical changes just to the way that the playoffs are structured, the way the divisions are structured, the leagues are structured. And, and amidst this all has, has have we seen a, play, a pitcher bad in the major leagues for the last time? I hope and, not. Yeah.
0: I hope not either. But, but, but I, but I am, um, you know, I guess I'm resigned to the fact that the universal DH is coming. Yeah. It, it, I, I, we've so. lost this argument. Yeah, we, we, exactly. And so, you know, here I, I'm a big. the older I get, the more I believe. Work on the things that you can change, but things that you can't change, don't spend another thing, time, a minute thinking about it because it's it's just useless. And this is one of those times where we we lo- we lost. And and if I I told you if I ran the world, there's a couple of things I would do on day one. But one of those things that I would do on day one is get rid of the DH. Yeah. I, I, I all across the world. To me, the pitcher batting is a whole element aspect of the game, but I also get the other side of the argument too. I get the other
1: side of the argument, but, but, but what the other side of the argument doesn't get, what I think they fail to understand is that, you know, of late, recently baseball is on a quest for efficiency. Efficiency is the only thing that matters to these guys in the front offices these guys who are running the show, they, they want to squeeze every bit of efficiency out of the way that they play, the way that they approach the game. And this overall mentality has led to the fact that people are like, look, look at the pitcher spot. What a terrible batting average. One out of ten times. This is awful. You know what I mean? That's inefficient. Let's put a real hitter in there. Because if his OPS is at 800, it's not worth watching. I completely disagree. Me too. When pitchers hit. Okay, fans identify with that. If a pitcher is up there hitting, looking awful, the fan says, you know what, I played ball in high school. I bet I could hit better than that guy. I bet I could hit better than him. You know what I mean? So yeah, for yeah. a minute, the average guy is connected to somebody who's out there. And I'll tell you this, that there are moments when the pitcher hits, when when guys like Bartolo Colon get their, their first home run of their
0: career. All right. That you would know, never happen under this dude. That, that, that doesn't
1: happen and yeah. those moments the players enjoy them and when the players enjoy them the fans enjoy them when the players go nuts for this stuff the fans do too you should I mean the, the Cologne home run the whole crowd in San Diego was going crazy you know
0: well we, we've seen other circumstances and um, uh, we know that Madison Baumgartner is a great hitter and he had two home runs off of Clayton Kershaw and, and by the way Kershaw uh, Kershaw has hit some home runs too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah. he pitched a one nothing shutout where he hit the home run to win it. All that stuff goes away. The thing about the pitcher is, all pitchers in that slot, if you if you had a universal pitcher hit, right, are have are all coming to that that uh, batting box at the same uh, equal rate. And so there's a variance just like every hitter, where some are god awful. They'll never get a hit. it's an out every time. But then that scale kind of changes where there's some that are averagely bad hitters to almost an average hitter. Um, you know, you have guys like Bob Gibson um, who he's the last guy to, to, to hit 300 and, and, and win 20 games. And so it's just, I'm a fan of it. However, I'm also pragmatic enough to know that when it's over, it's over. You can't keep loving a girl that doesn't love you. You got to move along.
1: You got to move along. But, but I'll tell you, I mean, even just watching a guy like, – like, remember how much fun it was when John Lester was signed by the Cubs. He would yet to have a major league hit. And all right. year in 2015, there was the wait for him to finally get his
0: first hit. Right. That
1: right. was fun. We enjoyed
0: that. Yeah. Okay? What about Jake Arrieta? He could probably the out Ariotta. of the park I went to a game where he hit a home run to win two to one and pitched a complete game. right. right. I mean, All that stuff goes away, and I'm with you. It's It sucks, but everything I read is it's coming like a steamroller. Well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of being underneath the steamroller.
1: <laughs> I'm going to have my say about this. I mean, I'm not going to call anybody idiots or anything yeah. like that. But well, I it have, doesn't it matter. Say. You're barking at the moon, though. It'll make you feel better. It will make me feel better, but I will have my case. I will have my day in court on, on pitchers hitting. I'm right behind you. All right, so so let's move on. Now,
0: the Minnesota. And, oh, but one last thing about the pitchers. Even if they go to a universal DH, pitchers will bat sometimes. And the reason why is because managers are dumb. Sometimes they don't pay attention. It still happens to this day. It's it, it very rare, but, yeah. but it does happen. Or you're in a 13-inning game, you have to bat the pitcher. You have no choice. You have to bat the pitcher. You have no, so, Travis Wood has to come to the plate. It's, it's not the end of it, but it's it, but it ends a strategy that the National League uses, which is the reason why I love the National League over the American League, is simply for that. What people don't realize is that
1: having the pitcher hit doesn't put the pressure on the offense; it puts it on the defense. Yes, yes. You don't see yes. that. They, they, and it, it puts pressure on the pressure. managers too. And, the, and, and there's also the feeling that the only way that is worthwhile to score is a double in the gap.
0: Well, there are other ways that are worthwhile. Right, right. Bunting. Oh, it, it just, every everything is at play and it's just, I just wanted to add that one thing. It's not the end of it, but you, it'll become a rarity that pitchers back. really
1: will. All right, let's move on to topics. Now the Minnesota Twins have been in the news recently and, uh, Let's begin with, I think, the, the, the more important one, and that is they're going to remove a statue of Calvin Griffith. And if you don't know Cal Griffith, he was the owner of the Twins, um, and he owned them back when they were the Washington Senators. Yeah, he brought and the Twins he, to Minnesota. He did. He brought the Twins to Minnesota. And when he was speaking at an engagement in Waseca, uh, kind of talking up the Twins, we were asking him why he decided to move to Minnesota. He, he said out loud that he did it because there weren't many Black people here. You know, that yeah. he wanted to get away from Washington, D.C. because there were just too many black people there. And he didn't want to have a team in a city that had so many black people. And, right. you know, um, they have this statue of him at their new ballpark. What is it, Target Field or something? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you know, it's time for that thing to come down.
0: I think yeah. it might already have come down, if I'm not mistaken. It may have, yeah. Yeah. The protesters might have already removed it, but once I read this article, because I I always knew that what's his name on Boston was a unabashed uh, yaki was, yeah. was an unabashed racist. But this guy, um, it, the interesting thing about Griffiths is he spoke like a lot of people felt, a lot. But yeah. he spoke it. But too bad you got busted in the world that we live in today. The cancel the cancel culture we live in. Can't do it. I mean, you can't. You can't yeah. All I can say is, thank God we didn't have Twitter when I was a teenager. Oh my God, that's all <laughs> I have to say about that. But uh, but good riddance to Calvin Griffith. and all of the guys that, uh, no, like that, whatever. So what's going on with Miguel
1: Sano? Miguel Sano is a third baseman for the Minnesota Twins, and he's been involved in the news in that um, he has been accused. Of blackmail, or he is being blackmailed. Kidnapping
0: and assault in the Dominican kidnapping and movie. assault
1: due to bl- being blackmailed because he has like an eight-year-old nephew who's being sexually abused by somebody,
0: and that person is the one that was blackmailing
1: him. That that person was the one who was blackmailing him, and he's the person who is accused Sano of kidnapping and assault. Correct, correct. correct. Which is a very convoluted this series. like
0: a, this event. is like an Orson Welles movie
1: really is. I mean, this this will make a great movie one day. But uh, you know, so you don't really I mean, again, these things are happening in the Dominican Republic. So it's very difficult to get an accurate read on what's happening. Right. Um, I certainly hope Miguel Sano is okay. I certainly hope the, the boy who's being sexually abused is okay, and somebody's getting him some help. And uh, if, if Sano is trying to defend him, then more power to him. But uh, as always, there's probably
0: more to this than we know at this point. Well, if they're going to shoot Big Poppy, they'll shoot anybody. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. I, if I was Sano, uh, I would not go back. <laughs> but we know that's impossible.
1: Now, um, I want to move on to this next bit about uh, – it's an article by Corey Brock from The Athletic where he basically polled – He kind of tried to gauge how much those fan bases liked their current set of radio and television announcers. And the reason why I thought it was significant is that number 30, 30 out of 30, the last one was the Detroit Tigers ball
0: club. Yeah.
1: And I wanted to hear what you had to say about that.
0: So, so I read the entire article. I read every single summary of every, I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. I just clicked on the link and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go through all of it. I had to go to the Sox. I had to go to the Cubs. But I also was interested to see who they thought were the best out there. But yeah. I was not surprised of, um, that Detroit is in last place. The, 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 the criticism I think is, based on what I've heard, is 100% correct. Um, it, it, they, um, the Tigers long-term, uh, announcers who basically got into a fight with each other, uh, two yeah. seasons ago. <laughs> right. uh, it, it's it, a physical fist fight. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It, it actually was. And, uh, uh, Mario and Pemba and Rod Allen. And by the way, I thought Rod Allen was a pretty damn good, uh, color analyst. uh, analyst. I thought he did a really good job. Um, but uh, they, they started to fight. They said, hey, we can't have fighting. There's no fighting in the broadcast booth. Right. Big sign. It's right in the back of every ballpark. You can't fight. There's no fighting in the war room here. You can't be doing that. And so um, both of them were dismissed, and they, they brought in, I guess, some like the Michigan uh, Wolverines baseball play-by-play guy, and then they augmented with Jack Morris and Kirk Gibson, who – I haven't had a lot of experience listening to them, but I do know that the criticism is they only talk about things and how it relates to their greatness and and, and their uh, era of baseball. And for younger fans and for all fans, it becomes obnoxious after a while. And it's a really and so I have to agree with this assessment. Where I think they missed the boat a little bit is I would have rated the White Sox higher than where they had the White Sox.
1: Well, I mean, again, I hate
0: the White Sox, but that announcer is so good. I put him in the top five. To oh yeah. yeah, Jason Benetti is a,
1: a wonderful young talent. They're going to be talking about Jason Benetti.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And I, we, we, we thats a whole other day, another subject. But the Cubs' position I thought was good because I think the Cubs' announcers have really done a good job, and the Marquee Network was very smart to to. Uh, to, to keep them on, I thought. For, for, yeah, uh,
1: Len Casper and Jim is absolutely smart to bring them on.
0: But, but they would have been hired in a second if they were let go. So it's just, um, I, I, I agree. I do know that that a long-term announcer for um, Boston who went to San Diego, Italian dude, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember. What no, he's not, called, but he's the San Diego play-by-play announcer. And I think San Diego came in Don Orsillo, Orsillo. on on the Padres, like Boston, they still talk about that guy. They're like he was the best announcer we've ever had here. In other words, the Boston guys kind of get kicked around because of letting uh, Orsillo go. Um, So I was going to
1: say though, I wanted to I wanted to mention with the Tigers, do you think it's just a case of not being able to fill Ernie Harwell's shoes?
0: Well, that'll always be the case. Yeah. Those shoes are so big. I mean, you'd have to be a clown to be able to wear it. You know, You're, you're going to have to have some pretty big shoes to, <laughs> big to, yeah, for to be to our well. And it's kind of the same issue that the uh, new guy has in L.A., What uh, the guy that took the place. Yeah, the place has been sculling, yeah. Uh, Joe, Joe Davis? I think it's Joe Davis, yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a fascinating article. It also kind of shows the sea change in um, announcers. I was reading through it. I'm like, you know, I used to know the Toronto announcer. He's long gone. You know, like a, the, the um, it just, the, a lot of these guys are young announcers, which is what baseball really needs in my opinion. And it's produced already a couple of greats as we've talked about the White Sox guy is just spectacular. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was, it, you know, I didn't have any problems with the Tigers being in last because they, they, they have the, one year announcement team and they're not that good.
1: I mean, it'll be interesting to see like these young announcers, how they're sort of, how they age, you know, when they're sort of at the point where they've been doing it for 30 years and, you know, they've been the voice of a team for so long and how we, you know, we, we talk about people like Marty Brennerman or Ernie Harwell or Jack
0: Buck. And, you know, by the way, Tom Brennerman kind of gets thrown under the bus of this, this, this uh, thing. They basically said, you know, he's, He's like Marty, but it's all politics with it. Or not politics, but like the politics of baseball, and it becomes annoying after a while. Whereas Marty – Tom
1: versus his father? His father never gave a shit what anybody thought. Right. Where
0: Tom really always thinks but, – but, but like you said about Marty, if you're a yeah. new player, he, he, he yeah. knew everything about you. Like, Marty was a student of the game. and. and oh. And, yes. and they're saying that you don't really get that with Tom, but you get all the attitude that, that Marty had, which Marty did have.
1: <laughs> yeah. so He had
0: plenty of attitude. Yeah. yeah just, you know, it's not a bad article. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with the numbers where they had them. All
1: right. So next article, uh, this is from The Athletic. This is from the Joe Koznanski series, The Baseball 100. And uh, you selected number 41, Tom Seaver. I just think it's an excellent choice. Tom Seaver. One of the greatest pitchers who ever lived, a man I got to see pitch for the Cincinnati Reds. We he pitched for the White Sox, but he he brought uh, he's most known for bringing World Series championships to the
0: New York Mets. Yeah. and uh, just just you know he, this is a guy. Is he still with us, Tom? He is Tom. Terrific. And the reason why I added this is last Monday on the MLB Network they. Um, they ran this two-hour special on Tom Seaver. Prior to the special, kind of a bio piece on him, prior to the special, they showed his game, his no-hitter when he pitched for the Reds. In its entirety, it was great. I watched the whole thing. Wow. uh, But then it got to the two-hour thing, and you realize that he's got really bad Alzheimer's, and um, it's getting progressively worse, (laughs) and it just was poignant because – The guy was extraordinary in the sense that he, you know, out of high school, he joined the Marines for a couple of years. And a lot of people felt that why he was so tough on the mound was the fact that he was a Marine and he was kind of a badass who just so happened had massive hands and could throw the baseball over 90 miles an hour, which is you're either born with it or you're not. I don't care what anybody says. And he he definitely was born with it. And so – he had
1: three great pitches. He had a great fastball, a great curveball, and a great slider. And he knew what the hell he was doing. And he talked about that in the book he wrote. How I would pitch
0: to Babe Ruth. Oh yeah, that was that was great. It's fantastic. But <laughs> low talked- and away, low and away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, he he talked about how he you know would pitch all of the great hitters in history, and and a lot of these guys he faced throughout his career, and he
0: owned them. Yeah. You know, yeah, now, right.
1: some of the guys he even said, he,
0: he was, you
1: know, uh, humble He owned almost
0: all of them. He, he, owned, he, owned, he, had, he had a really good record against Roberto Clemente. He did. He did. You know what he said about Clemente,
1: which was fascinating? He talked about in that little article we read that uh, you could put a little box on the outside corner of the plate against Clemente, and that's where you absolutely had to throw it every single time. If you threw it there, you had a chance. But if you got it up a little bit, yeah. And Bob Gibson, in his biography,
0: said exactly
1: the same thing. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And you could throw a hundred fastballs on the outside corner to Clemente, but if you got it up just a little bit, and this right. is a quote, he hit the
0: shit out of it. Yeah, it was gone. And, and they and by the way, the thing about Clemente was the sound. that yeah. you, you could you know he was one of those guys where if you're a blind guy, you go to the park just to hear him hit. He, he really would square up balls, and he would square them up
1: all over the – a tremendous hitter. Four batting He
0: time. wasn't Willie McCovey, but he was a hard hitter. He
1: was a hard hitter. He was. But, you know, it was, it was a great book to read, and he talked about – there was one other great uh, story when he was, I think, pitching with the Yankees, and he actually faces the Mets, or he comes to Yankee Stadium in yeah, this yeah. His last yeah. time.
0: Yeah, it was his hard 296th year. victory. And, and he goes out
1: there and to the bullpen to warm up and the pitching coach comes over and takes a look at him and says, you don't have shit today, Seaver." And he right. goes out there and throws a complete game shutout. Right. And he comes right. back into the dugout, sees the pitching coach. He's like, you know, I didn't have anything. I know I didn't have anything, but the other team doesn't know it. Right.
0: And by the time right. they figure it out, I'll come up with something. <laughs> well, you know the interest. The interesting thing of how great a pitcher he was, because you're right. At the end of his career, it was pretty much known that he had nothing left. And and but you There's know what? He, he got like 27 more wins after that. Like like it was some huge number because he knew how to pitch. He was so smart as a pitcher. At the time he was elected into the Hall of Fame, I think it was in '92. I was a little pissed off because he had a higher vote-in percentage. Than uh, Hank Aaron, and that always, you know, kind of makes me. I hate to think of things like that, but Seaver was great. I mean, his was. ERA for career is two nine six, under three. No pitcher alive today will ever see that. Over twenty two seasons, are you crazy? Unbelievable. We've got
1: to. We've got to kind of advance the topic here. Uh yeah. do You want to talk about the Bob Gibson thing? About I mean,
0: yeah, we got time, dude. We have time. Bob Bob Gibson. Uh, who is suffering from pancreatic cancer um, kind of weighed in on the whole uh, uh, Lives Matter Black Lives Matter movement. And I thought it was kind of enlightening. And there was a great story in there about him and Jackie Robinson, when they were both supposed to go meet Nixon in 69. And they both, they both, uh, I think it was an all-star game in Washington. It must've been, yeah. and They both, as people were getting in line, waiting online to meet the president, they both kind of turned away and got back on the, hotel bus or whatever and, yeah, right. and didn't do it. And then they talked for the next few hours after that and we're kind of kindred spirits. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking, when you, when you talk about Bob Gibson,
1: you're talking about an immensely proud black man. He's yeah. proud of who he is. He's proud right. of being a black man. He's proud to represent black yeah. people all over the country. This is a man who's done it with class and dignity and skill and intelligence. And uh, you know, it, he, he, the thing that really struck me about this article with Mike Lupica is that, you know, how resigned he is to knowing that things really haven't changed that much. Right,
0: so, right.
1: When, when he had joined the Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals black players had to stay when they would go to spring training. They stayed at another hotel or another right, location. Right, and, right. and finally, they had to lobby to August Bush to get them to, to, to have a place where they could all stay together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was a big deal. Reporters came down and took pictures of white families and black families with their kids at the pool.
0: Right. You know, right
1: these right. players.
0: Yeah, you know? it, it, it was, it, it, it's a poignant article. Um, and, and, you know, from one of the greatest pitchers that ever lived and, and he, he had to live through stuff that we, we could only dream of. The only concession that he made to moderns is, and he's right, is that seemingly now whites, generally, are more open to the, to, to the discussion of, of well, race and, and what, it, what we have to do to make things better. Some of them are.
1: Some yeah. of them are. I, don't, I, I certainly think that uh, that crowd in Oklahoma wasn't. But uh, yeah.
0: Right. So what, what's going on with Albert Pujols?
1: Albert Pujols has done something really great. We learned from Maria Torres in the LA Times that uh, he is paying... For all he's paying all the salaries for furloughed Los Angeles Angels employees who live in the Dominican Republic. So that's great. Work the Angels in the Dominican Republic. Your salary is taken care of, Mr. Pujols, and his $25 million a year are helping pay your way right now. And and I think that when things like this happen, Pujols know, is, a is a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a real good guy. You know, and he he has a bad rep in St. Louis among some of their fans for yeah. having left there which I think is undeserved, you know? Um, but, uh, but I think that, that this kind of shows, I think how petty the owners might be. And it's things like this that are going to win public opinion in favor of the players.
0: So, yeah, that's a great, great uh, thing, but uh, let's, uh, I've been chomping at the bit to talk about the Cubs. What's going on with the Cubs?
1: Well, you know, we've had a lot of really interesting things happening, you know, uh, within the Cubs organization, there've been some positive things to say recently and I'm talking specifically about Theo Epstein and Ian Happ, both uh, making statements of the Black Lives Matter movement. They've both been very supportive. Theo Epstein actually came out and did a Zoom conference where he talked about how he's going to completely reevaluate um, how he's going to do how he's doing business and the people he's hiring, and to be thinking a little bit more about giving people a chance and, and bringing right. in more diverse opinions and thoughts. So I thought that that because you know, he doesn't say these things just to placate people, no, he's, I don't. he's going to do it. And I think that that has to be admired. It, it, and, uh, and, and then also um, Ian Happ is kind of moving up the ranks in the Major League uh, Players Association as he's taken over duties as the union rep from Chris Bryant. So- Who has a child. Okay. Who has a child, Who's
0: yeah, right. Uh, so you, you cite this ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on uh, the Sosa McGuire magical year of 1998. What's going on with that? Well, did you see it? I haven't seen it. I have to tell you, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. I didn't see it and I barely read the article. And the reason is, is that I just, I, for some reason, because of both of these guys, I just, I feel bad that I gave away so much of myself loving 1998. And now it's just, it's just. It has a bad taste. It's left a bad taste. It really does. It really does. Well, let me tell you something. First of all.
1: In missing the documentary and not seeing it, you didn't miss a thing. Okay. Is this, the, the guy who directed this movie, I don't know if this thing is entirely his vision or he was told to do it a certain way or there were certain parameters that he had to kind of stay within. Let me tell you. He grew up in Edwardsville, which is right outside of St. Louis. And he, he did this thing like he's the biggest fan of Mark McGuire. He well, was obviously, it's okay to be. I'm just not. But that's how he writes it. It's a love letter right. to the Cardinals, to yeah. his childhood team. And right. I'm sorry. He, he fell so short of all the things that needed <laughs> to come funny. out in this. No, I get
0: it. I get it. I get
1: it. Steroids wasn't mentioned in the first hour. Really? Not at all. Not once. There wasn't wow. a single shot of Sammy Sosa in a White Sox uniform. Not one. Not one.
0: You know, there's two. There's two Sammys. There was the Sammy, and now the white Sammy, who has lightened his skin to the point where it's like, what are you, Michael Jackson now? I'm glad
1: you mentioned that, because a man who would, who would choose to alter, to artificially alter the color of his skin. Which is disrespectful, by the way. Well, I, we can get into the racial yeah, dynamic and well, insecure. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of stuff to unpack. Yeah, yeah, that's I a whole show. No, okay, <laughs> but 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 a man who would choose to artificially alter the color of skin, I I think would have no problem with artificially altering his body to make him a yeah, better player. Correct. And and we're talking about a guy who was caught using a corked bat. Yep. I'm sorry, and then the way the movie ends, you know, they try to get him on the spot. Jeremy Schaap tries to pin him down on whether or not he takes steroids and shuts the interview down, but then he comes back. And and the interview takes place in Sosa's Miami condominium, which is 55 stories in the air, and that's where he lives with his wife and his kids, and they're all just so happy, and and there's, it just, I'll tell you, Tom, there was something so fake about it. And the camera pans away like a drone footage of this, of this high-rise apartment building. And there he is in his ivory tower, completely unwilling to accept the situation yeah. and what people think of him.
0: I don't know what to say. It was, uh, it, that was weird, dude. It was weird. So, so I just wanted to briefly mention that uh, the Marquee Network is doing something very cool. Okay. And that is they have this every couple times a week. Um, Their mystery game that they play from its entirety, they don't tell you what it is, they just start the Cubs game, and then you it starts oh. to dawn on you what, what it is, and it's always like a, either a home run's hit in the ninth, it's just a regular season yeah, game, right. you don't know who's going to win, and, then, and right. then you're like, wait a minute, I think somebody, I think, uh, you know, whatever, Castillo hits a home run in the ninth inning, uh, or or whatever, but my point to you is, um, it, it was really kind of cool, I watched one earlier this week, and, and and the Cubs ended up doing just that. They were losing like three to nothing the whole game, and they won. They scored four runs in the bottom of the ninth. So uh, I got but, the it.
1: The network—if they're doing that, yeah. I'd rather see that. I, I, cause, cause, I love to see old games, and, and yeah. I've seen
0: so many games that we've, for, I've forgotten yeah. so many. I don't know how it's going to happen. Well, it's kind of almost better than knowing the classic, at least for me. I would because the whole game, I'm like, which game is it? And you can't look it up. There's nothing. Don't look you know, it up. Put, put it on their website. No, but they don't put it on their website. It just says mystery game. You yeah. go to their website. So, cool. we to uh, check that. Out. So Addison Russell signed with um, the Key Room Heroes. That's and not one of the. That's not one of the better teams, right? I don't. I. I. I don't, I don't think, think it is. I, I don't think it is. In but Korea, I should
1: say. But, but, but he, he's Addison Russell, who was suspended yeah. from the Chicago Cubs for domestic violence, and they gave him a chance to come back. He played very badly. Yeah. Has yeah. signed a contract to play with his team in Korea. And right. what I wanted to say was, Addison Russell playing baseball in Korea is a lot like Louis C.K. doing stand up comedy in Poland. Because, <laughs> you mean, you're what a dum dum. Yeah, I mean, but that's what's happening. he what tried to feel. Louis C.K. is yeah, is right. out there in Poland doing stand up.
0: Yeah. And, you, know, you know, and that's. Instead of like masturbating, he's like mentally masturbating. Um, I mean, look. I, what Addison Russell did to his wife yeah.
1: is awful. It's unforgivable. It's unforgivable, but, but yet
0: we have to – he has to move on, and we all have to move on. Hey, we had 2016. Have a, have a, enjoy the rest of your career. We'll always have 2016, Addison.
1: He'll, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went over there and played well. But uh, I, I mean, he I, better I, play –
0: that's the only reason why he signed for 450 grand is he better play well, or otherwise it's all to try to get back into the majors. You haven't seen the last of them in the majors. I'll bet you on that. So, I, would, I would, I'll make a bet with you right now. All no. right. All so right. Leo Epstein, what,
1: what did he, apparently he's got a pretty good leg, eh? He can kick. Kicked a 50 yard field goal to raise money to fight ALS, which I thought was pretty amazing. And a lot of people will say, because if you look at the video, you know, you see this guy wearing a gray sort of fleece and, and slacks, kick a field goal. You see his back. And then he falls out of the picture, and then you see Theo Epstein. He comes into the picture. So, you know, maybe it was set could up. You, I don't. You, think so. Could
0: you kick a fifty-yard field goal?
1: Yeah. Could I mean, you? I couldn't. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I
0: mean, if I could kick a twenty-five-yard field goal, I'd be uh, ecstatic. Well, see, I well, I could, I, I could because I had strong legs when I was young, and I did. I could kick a f- football pretty far. So I was less impressed. I was like, you know, like in my you know heyday, I could have done that.
1: Well, I think it's impressive. You know, maybe the Bears can hire him.
0: Uh, <laughs> right, we need him. What's let's, yeah. let's let's move on to our movie of the week. Yeah. And before you get started with talking about it, great selection, buddy. Oh, good. That good. was a great selection. Good. I'm glad. So you, I, I assume you saw it this week. I saw it last night. Oh wow, good. Yeah, it, it great. is great, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. is. And so you introduce,
1: introduce our oh. movie of the week. We're, we're talking about the Motorcycle Diaries. Uh, this is the story of, uh, the true story of how Che Guevara and his friend from medical school, uh, another doctor. Who, uh, Alberto. Alberto Granado.
0: Yeah, Granado.
1: And, and he, he was, uh, Alberto was a, a biotechist.
0: And Ernesto, before he and was Che. Che Guevara.
1: They, they leave Buenos Aires uh, and they go on a motorcycle trip basically across the entire South American continent. They begin on the plains of uh, Argentina and then get up into the Andes Mountains into Chile. They cross the border into Chile. They work their way up through Chile into Bolivia, into, uh, into, uh, into Peru, et cetera. And then finally making their way to a leper colony in the Amazon jungle where they were supposed to uh, study and do an internship. And uh, it's just a great movie because, you know, if you know anything about Che Guevara, I mean, we're talking about a man who was a revolutionary. This is a man who was not above using violence to advance his goals. Uh, He was a big part of the revolution in Cuba that overthrew the Cuban government. He was a close friend of Fidel Castro. Um, You know, he's a complicated person. Yeah. And history will judge Guevara, you know, in many different ways. He's a Marxist. Yeah, he's a Marxist and 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 a violent one. Um, yeah, yeah. But but again, I mean, history will take a look at it. But, but the way that this movie sort of portrays him, it's as a young man. Before any of this stuff, the political stuff happens. And what we see is what we learn about um, Mr. Guevara in the process is that we learn how he becomes who he is. We learn why he believes what he believes, why he took the political stances that he took. Because he was outraged by the treatment and uh, the way of life of the poor and uh, the Indians, the Native Americans in South America. He was furious at the way and that they were exploited and abused.
0: And his beliefs on this were formed in, in this period of his life when he went on this trip with his friend. Basically, it's like on the road yeah. um, in South America. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, 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 and so I just want to talk about just why did those, these two guys who had never left their, country, their area want to go do this? Because they both were getting to be in their mid-20s, and this was and, um, Ernesto Che was a semester away from being a medical doctor, right. um, and he decided that they wanted to go out and, and see the world. And experience a little bit of life. Exactly. You and know. so people were an uproar at the beginning, and ultimately his father took him aside and said, I wish I could go with you. I wish I was went, going on. This trip. And that's the way I felt about it, too. I yeah. thought it was an absolutely – I thought it was better – I'm a huge fan of the Beat Generation and on the road as being kind of the Bible of that era this is really a better story and the reason why it's a better story is because first of all the locales are incredible there was one particular town that they visited called valparaiso chile oh, right and, and they were at the top the peak of the town in this inner almost had like a san francisco type of a look to it it was breathtaking i was like i want to be out how, how do i get here and the fact is is uh you know dean moriarty and on the road they never saw anything like valparaiso chile So um, there was all these little things, but ultimately the humanity of Che and and the fact that the reason why he became this really people on the like Ebert correctly, even though I completely disagree with Ebert's review, Ebert gave it two and a half stars, I gave it four stars. I think it's a great film. Is that you know the 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 fact is is that. Shay at this point in his life, and people can't get past this because they think about Rivera the Marxist and the you know the the is that these were just two young guys going off to see what happens and the road unfolds. There's yeah. something extremely attractive about that. Oh, and, yeah. and God knows they had trouble. The bike, the, how the bike even made the first quarter of the story is beyond me. It's only because it was a Norton. A Nortons yeah. were extremely reliable motorcycles back then, but you know they were they had to deal with the snow and I don't know what mountain range they went Those are the Andes mountains yeah and by the way that whole scene was improvised because yeah. they got up there and they realized and they both the he got the the crew late at night to go up there and film that scene of them trying to yeah,
1: yeah just the behind the motorcycle oh. and, yeah until and then it starts to snow a
0: little bit now it's right. snowing a lot right 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 yeah. that was completely improvised as only something like that can be but I this, just... The beauty, too, the, the beauty of this story, too, is how
1: the two men, like one man, Guevara, is brutally honest and frank. Yes, yes, that is exactly right. Exactly what he feels. Where the other guy, Granados, is sort of like, he's a wise guy. He's a, a little bit of a charlatan, a showman. He lies to people. He sort of bullshits people a little bit. But played that, very well by Rodrigo de la Cerno. Who's a fantastic actor, by the way. And if you ever want to catch him in something unbelievable on Netflix – you can watch Call Me Francis, where he plays Pope Francis uh, as a young man, as a yeah. uh, priest, the Jesuit priest Jorge Bergoglio uh, in Argentina. Tremendous story. Well,
0: he played, know, Rodrigo played Alberto and the great Gail Garcia Bernal played uh, che, uh
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, and then at the very end of the movie where they're having that little party where their internship ends, you know, and he gives a little speech where he talks about how, We are somos una raza mestiza. We're a mixed race of of the same race from the from the tip of the Magallanes Islands all the way to the frontera, the border with the United States and Mexico. And that instead of being all these little countries, we should be one country.
0: Which was basically their trip. That was the uh, you know the, the scope of their trip
1: the substance of the trip, but there's great. I mean, there's really funny things that happen. There's sex, there's yeah. fighting, there's all sorts of great stuff. It's really cool. It,
0: it was, it, I thought that was a really, really good movie. It's been um, 15 years since I've seen it. And I saw it last night and it was just, I didn't want it to end. It was so, it was so good. And uh, I've seen it. I've shown it to my students. I've, I've seen it
1: dozens of times. Yeah. No, so, all right. Well, uh, now is the time, Tom, where
0: you do the big reveal and yeah. you tell us what movie you selected for next week. Next week, we are going with the Billy Wilder classic, Sunset Boulevard. Wow. I'll tell you, I've never seen this. Yeah, well, good. you can go see it. You have no excuse not to. It's not yeah. like you don't have time on your hands. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Pay the three yeah. bucks or whatever it costs. on. Uh, you It may even be on Netflix. I don't know. And maybe on Netflix for free and maybe on YouTube for free, you know. phenomenal movie, you will love it.
1: All right, excellent. So until next week, we are the two peas in the podcast. I'll oh, bang the drums slowly and play the five low. Play the dead march as they carry me along.
0: Put bunches of roses all over my coffee Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.